Welcome to Behind the Peaks podcast, where we celebrate and make visible the professionals from the Himalayan community in America by uncovering the challenges, difficulties, as well as the accomplishments that they have encountered along the journey. If you are someone pursuing higher studies in America and aspire to enter the professional world, or you are already in the professional world, look no further. The unique life stories of Himalayan professionals will not only inspire you, but also remind you that you are not alone. I'm your host, Sonam Sherpa, and in today's episode, we have someone who is a senior account executive at Red IQ, graduated with the Bachelor of Science in Finance and International Business at the University of Oregon. He has extensive experience interning at the Bank of America Merrill Lynch and Green Gables Design and Restoration. He's very much involved in the Himalayan community, and most importantly, a professional. Tenzing Rapten at Sengsang. Thank you for taking the time to join us. Yeah, man, of course. It's a pleasure for me to be here. So I really want to thank you for having me here as well. Sure. Uh, so how, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, you know, like I, I mentioned prior to the, the start of the podcast, I had a pretty long night last night. So if I start speaking a bunch of gibberish or, or just going off, uh, tell me to shut up and let's get back and really <laughs> focus on the thing. So at any time. All right. So on the podcast for today's, it's going to revolve uh, basically around the three aspects of your life. Yeah. So we're going to talk about your present and your childhood and what you plan to do in your future. All right, man. Let's do it. All right. So tell me a bit about yourself. So what are you doing right now? I mean, as far as my personal and uh, my sort of my, I guess, professional career goes, uh, currently I work for a company called Red IQ. Uh, it's a platform. It's a commercial real estate technology platform where we help uh, brokers, lenders, appraisers, asset managers, anyone that's within the uh, the real estate space, um, you know, uh, source deals faster, uh, underwrite those deals faster, and hopefully close those deals faster. Um, really, uh, within Red IQ, uh, when you look at commercial real estates, there's different um, layers of asset classes or products that one can work with. And so what the podcast that we're currently doing is it's in a residential one-family home. So there's residential, there's commercial. When you look at commercial real estate, you're looking at industrial, office, mixed use, um, and um, those are the ones that, that that I can think of right now. But regardless, uh, we work within the multifamily space, the garden style type of apartments. Uh, and essentially when brokers, lenders, appraisers, they want to transact on this, this certain type of asset, we help them underwrite those deals faster. Is this something you saw yourself doing as a kid or like how, how did that evolve? Um, I think, I mean, personally, as <laughs> at the younger days of my life, I think um, growing up, especially within our or Himalayan community, or more precisely, I'm Tibetan, and my uh, my vision was similar to what my parents had. You know, I was engraved thinking that I would I would either be a lawyer, or a doctor, or an engineer of some sort, uh, oh. or, or or in finance, um, mm. and uh, which I was okay with. Uh, and uh, none of those uh, really appealed to me apart from the finance aspect of things. So, um, right I, as you mentioned, I graduated from the University of Oregon. Finance was definitely sort of the pathway that I thought I wanted to take. Uh, I wanted to graduate college. Uh, wear a nice suit, drive a nice car, and work, uh, you know, with an investment banking world, right? What, what, what we all envision. I can I can definitely relate with you on the dressing up with nice clothes and such. Yeah. So, um, so how do you think your childhood influenced you to take the take on the profession that you are on today? Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely. I mean, in terms of my childhood, I mean, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I was born in. Gantok Sikkim, um, life there was quite different from what it is now. And mm-hmm. I think you can also relate to this. And I think that's why, you know, this, uh, this aspect of a podcast, 
um, especially geared towards the Himalayan region and, and professionals. I think it's, it's, it's well needed. So one, first and foremost, I mean, I want to applaud you guys for even starting something like this. Uh, and number two, you know, uh, you know, my life story is very similar to your life story or perhaps any immigrant life story that, you know, most of us here have. Like my parents, you know, came to the States to, you know, uh, build a, a foundation, uh, you know, build a, a set a goal and a foundation where my brother and I could come to college. Uh, I mean, come to America and, you know, live a successful life and build a, you know, build a sort of future for us. Um, so, I mean, in terms of looking at my, how my childhood has geared me to be where I am today, um, I think every aspect of my childhood has essentially, you know, fit in terms of, you know, taking me to be uh, exactly where I am today, right? Everything from how I was raised to the environment that I was in, uh, to the people that I've met to now being, you know, in front of, here in front of you and explaining about what my career has been thus far. I mean, I mean, I guess to sort of dive in, I mean, my story is pretty similar, right? So 1993, Bush Sr. became president. He granted 1,000 Tibetans asylum to come to America, right? Uh -huh. Uh, within those 1,000, within millions of Tibetans, um, and this is sort of the Tibetan story, um, uh, millions of those Tibetans, um, you know, they granted 1,000 Tibetans, and my, my, my dad was in, within the lottery, uh, and he got it, and he came here uh, to America in 1993 with, I think, like $50 in his pocket, uh, and just a dream and a hope that one day my brother and I would go on to college uh, to be successful and have an impact on our community. Um, and uh, here I am today uh, trying to pursue that life for him, right? Um yeah, I can see, I can see the the fire and uh, growing up and having to go through the struggles and trying to help up with the family as well as in like uh, to leave something behind that's worthy of the your parents' sacrifice. So being selected for the lottery and the Bush settlement project, how did that help you help with the yeah. family you're bringing and your academic life? Absolutely. Um, so. Um, it's, it, it was, I wasn't picked, my, my dad was picked 1993. I was about a, a year old. I was born in 1992. So I, I didn't come here, but my, my dad, my dad sort of, uh, came here, like I mentioned earlier, um, you know, by himself, right. Um, just, uh, you know, he, um, so his profession in, in Sikkim was, he was a tanka painter. Um, uh, he spent, you know, uh, his whole life, you know, uh, uh, sort of painting tankas, um, and he was an exceptional artist as well. Uh, but coming to America, uh, you know, an artist, it's hard to make a living, right? And so uh, he started out, essentially, his first job, I, I recall, was working at Nike uh, and pumping air into those little Nike air soles that we all wear today, right? And I think it was making like $5 an hour, right? And he would, he would tell me that, you know, he would explain about his struggles. And I didn't know that, I mean, until I came here. But, you know, every day he was working, you know, Really sort of, you know, strenuously in hopes of, you know, uh, essentially, you know, bringing my, my family over, uh, so that, you know, we can live that better life, right? So that his struggles really impacted me as, as, a, as an individual in terms of where I want to be. Uh, and so that sort of motivated me all throughout my life. Um, he really is, uh, the only person or one of the only persons that really has impacted me in my life, um, has molded me to be the person that I am today. Um, and also is someone that I'm, I'm, I'm constantly trying to um, do better so that, you know, his struggles can live up to something, right? Growing up with all those uh, adversities and such, 
did it give you a different lens in life as in how, how did that translate to your your academic standing as in like for someone uh, in your profession yeah. to be at the level that you are today or how how did you plan out your studies yeah i mean let's let's take a look at it i mean so i i, I came to america in 2000 i was about eight years old um i moved we moved to i i was originally from portland oregon so i went to elementary middle school high school all throughout there um i was the only so we lived in beaverton oregon and more or less uh my friends were i mean let's just say i, I grew up in a very white community right i didn't have any nepali friends i didn't have any sharper friends tibetan friends um and honestly school is a lot different when you think about india or nepal versus america but coming into america my i mean especially me i was young and you know that sort of the necessity for education or that understanding about you know schooling and how education is important it really hadn't really sinked in i was still young but regardless you know i would i would say when i was eight i was about what third grade third grade fourth grade fifth grade i came in i was like wow america's amazing they got nap times here they give you free food you don't get that you know you don't get that back back home and so i i was i was you know sort of dumbfounded i loved it i loved everything about it you know the infrastructure is amazing here the classes are clean the teachers don't hit you you know you can do whatever that you know you can do whatever really you want and um i i was you know i was having a great time but at the same time i think my focus was geared more on you know all the new aspects of Amer the american life versus the education itself so you know i was just enjoying everything and and i can still recall it's funny that you asked that question and i think it was around 6th grade um my middle school and middle park middle school um so at the end of the quarter or was it it was either at the end of the quarter but or at the end of the year they would have honor rolls right mm -hmm. so depending on what classes you took what your grade standards were um, you know, at the end of the, at the quarter of the year, they would call you up saying, Hey, you know, Sunam Sharpa, come up. Uh, you've made, uh, the honor roll. They'll give you like a nice, like, uh, like a little metal thing and then a certificate and then everyone would clap in front of you. But there was this one found profound moment in my life. And then this is geared exactly towards education is where I was sitting in that cafeteria and all my friends were laughing around. We're being the cool kids. Um, and they all got called up one by one. Everyone got called up and I was the only one sitting back. And these guys were all called up for like, you know, uh, regardless, uh, perfect attendance, um, uh, you know, uh, making the honor roll and so on. And I, I clearly recall myself just sitting there and just thinking, you know, as like, why am I the only person that's sitting here at this bench? And all my friends are up there on the stage with, you know, medals around their, you know, their, their neck. Um, what am I, what am I doing different? Right. Um, you know, obviously I want to be up there and being, you know, and being, uh, and be in front of the whole audience and get applauded for, for doing something great. Um, and at that moment, you know, it kind of synced in that, Hey, like I, I need to sort of change my ways or my focus in life. Um, so that, you know, one, you know, I can achieve what the, the rest of my you know, colleagues or my, uh, my friends are achieving. Um, at the same time, I'm not just throwing this opportunity, uh, being in, you know, this American society away, um, that I, I need to do something more with my life. And, um, that sort of was the pivotal sort of uh, milestone where after that, man, you know, I went all out. So talking about your future and your aspirations growing up, I know we all have like uh, tens and hundreds of different professions that we want to pursue. Say personally, as a kid, I wanted to be an artist. Did you have any other interests that you wanted to pursue as a kid? Oh, man, I want to be a lot of things, bro. Um, growing up, uh, I thought, you know, again, I, I want to be in finance. So that, that definitely, that definitely happened in my life. Um, 
I also wanted to just, you know, be, I guess, like, a, just a, just uh, one other thing that <laughs> it's funny that you asked me this question because I was just thinking about it yesterday. One other aspect that I wanted to also pursue in my career was becoming a foreign affairs officer mm-hmm. uh, to essentially, you know, travel the world. Um, I'm not sure if you know exactly what they do, but really, uh, when you become a foreign affairs officer, there's different sort of focuses that you can, you, one can go through. Uh, you know, you can, you know, if you think about foreign affairs officer, you go to like a consulate in Nepal or Delhi, you can be one of those individuals that essentially, you know, give visas to people that want to come and visit America. You can be a, uh, you can focus more on the security side. You know, when an American goes into Nepal and gets into trouble, you're the one that's, you know, speaking on their behalf and, you know, helping them. But, uh, you know, giving back to the community, uh, being a part of something, you know, bigger, uh, and also helping, you know, uh, fellow refugees out uh, was definitely a passion for me. And that's definitely still something I may, I may pursue. Uh, I'm 26 right now. Um, right out of college, that's a conversation that I wanted to have uh, with with my parents as well. But uh, the average age of a foreign affairs officer is, I think, I think like 35 years old. Um, so I still have some time. Uh, I met with a few different uh, foreign affairs officers, including uh, the, the ambassador of Albania, uh, which really helped me understand wh- where their pathway was and what they were doing. That outlook and that view of my life is, you know, I got to go in, uh, pursue my life, you know, find out what it is that I- I'm passionate about, um, you know, experience different aspects of life. And then at a later point, I think um, that may still happen uh, in terms of pursuing that pathway. So going back to your middle school, how you said you grew up in predominantly white community. Yeah. So was there any impact on racial scale or like uh, an identity scale? Um, that's interesting. Uh, to some extent, yes. Um, I don't think I've ever experienced like a, like a, like a racial tension or bias towards me, uh, in particular. Um, and, and nothing that really offended me. Like, um, so yeah, I mean, I grew up in a very white community, but also I think that sort of evolved me as a person out of who I am today. Right. So, um, most of my, so my dad moved us to Beaverton, Oregon, where I was going to schools with a pretty sort of uh, well-off individuals. Uh, a lot of, a lot of my closest friends, um, their parents worked at like Nike, Intel, and they were executives. Um, and they were pretty well off, right? And I mean, we were doing good, but not as, you know, in terms of what, what these guys had. So like when, you know, when I would go to school and, you know, I, I, you know, these guys would take, you know, yearly vacations and all that. Like I didn't have any of that. Right. But at the same time, it, being a part of that, being in that community, learning a different aspect of life really evolved me as a person. So, um, and one aspect of it also, if you think about it, so grew up in a very uh, white suburban community. Uh, my thought process, that really impacted how I see things, view things and how I, you know, speak to individuals even from, from every aspect of things. And now sort of moving to New York, uh, and being a part of the, you know, the Himalayan community, um, I'm able to see th- and perceive things in a different way that I, I don't think I would have otherwise. So going back to high school, you said you interned at Green Gables. Yeah. How did you get there and what was the experience like? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I guess uh, one of the other aspirations of my life um, relating to sort of real estate was I, I thought I wanted to be an architect as well. <laughs> I want to do a lot of things. Uh, but my dad... My dad's, uh, so Lynn Lee Morton, uh, he started Green Gables. That's, uh, that's my dad's best friend. Um, and essentially I got that internship because of, of the connection, right? Um, I didn't necessarily really apply or went to an extensive process. I just kind of asked Uncle Lynn Lee if I can, uh, you know, sort of sit around, shadow some of his, uh, you know, senior architects and help in any way. 
um, it was great. It was a great learning experience for me, uh, especially being that I wanted to be an architect in high school. I took uh, a few AutoCAD classes uh, regarding, you know, um, architecture. Um, my sort of day to day involved really just shadowing them, building out different sort of, um, uh, you know, scalable models for different house designs and so on. Um, I mean, in full transparency, it was too tedious. Um, I, I, I really didn't enjoy it much. I learned a lot. But again, that's the whole point of an internship, right? I, I got to go in, I got to experience, and I thought this is what I wanted to do. But I came out knowing that this isn't what I wanted to do. So I was a step closer closer to understanding what it is that I'm passionate or what it is that I wanted to evolve myself in terms of, um, you know, what my future career lies. Um, so talking about exploring your passion and your careers, I know we all can relate to the college application experience. Yeah. So how how was it like for you? What colleges did you apply to? Were there any scholarships and such? Well, first and foremost, I think you should start to prepare and have an understanding of what what sort of major you want to pursue and the colleges that you want to pursue as you start, you know, starting from your freshman, sophomore, junior year. So I constantly had that idea revolving. I'd never really... Uh, I, I would say I never really took initiative on it. Uh, it was more or less, hey, you know, what do I want to study? Uh, what colleges do I want to go to? Uh, so what it came down to was, you know, um, what, what, what I wanted to pursue as a major, um, and finance was definitely it. Um, so I started applying, um, I guess I started applying, I, I met with my school counselor, I went with a few individuals that were within the finance industry, talked to them about, you know, what colleges they went, what their experience were like, um, just understanding what my, you know, what my next step should be. Um, I started applying to a lot of the, uh, I wanted to be further away from my parents. So I started applying to a lot of the East Coast schools. I went, I applied to uh, Boston College. I applied to New York University. Um, and then I applied to a few of the state schools, uh, un- including, I think, uh, USC as well and looking at in California region. Um, I got rejected from Boston University. I got rejected from USC. I got waitlisted at NYU. Um, and... Also, um, and then within my call, uh, my state colleges. So there's two, there, there's Portland State University and there's University of Oregon. I got accepted to both of those as well. Um, and really thinking about finance and pursuing finance, that's where, you know, I had to start, you know, getting my act into gear already, right? So do I go to New York University and pay 60 grand a year and come out with the school with, you know, a little over $200,000 in debt? Or do I go to my state school and have a full ride scholarship? You know, I mean, it's two hours away from my parents. And I thought, I thought there's still some distance in terms of me be having the independence and, you know, experience that experience in that college life that we, you know, that we grew up thinking about. Um, so I made the financial decision to, uh, go to a state school, the linguistics, Charleston linguistics, uh, school of business and universities. Um, it's not like a private school, but it's top ranked within the public region. Um, along with also, um, you know, having that opportunity to go there with a full ride, um, you know, take the classes. I, th- I thought I made the, you know, good decision, you know, at the, at the end of the day, uh, you know, investing in, um, education, I, I think it's priceless. I really do. Um, you know, I mean, that's, that's why we come to America. Like, right. College to me is really, it's a, it's a, it's a certificate or it's just a stamp on your resume saying that, Hey, you went to college. You are a you you are an organized person that can wake up in the morning, go to your classes, get a decent grade, commit to something for four years, and now you can be a, a functioning individual in the real world. I think that's what it is, right? It, it, like at the end of the day, I can tell you uh, what I do day to day here at Red IQ to what I did as an investment making at Chartwell. Um, I learned nothing about apart from being organized. That really helped me. 
Everything that I learned in those jobs, I learned on the spot. So you mentioned before that when you first moved into America, you wanted to get the most out of the experience. So were there any college uh, college trips or any college experience that you did you mean? Yeah, definitely. Uh, one, one also, one thing that I, I also want to talk about real quick that I mean, I, I want to get your impression on as as well as that. So when you apply to these colleges, um, you know, you have uh, you have to talk about your extracurricular activities. You know, it's like clubs that you were a part of. Obviously, you have to show your GPA, your cumulative GPA, and your weighted GPA, and then you have to take an exam like an SAT or a- ACT, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so within SAT and ACT. Uh, something that I was I was reading about it really interested me is it, it really you know those courses I I really didn't really study too much for I I wasn't really too engaged in but regardless I I did, I did an alright job but now that I think about it um, those those exams are really just um, you know teaching you how well you take an exam versus your actual knowledge itself right is that something I mean I, you know I know that you know you're currently in college did you feel that way when you when you were taking like your SAT or ACT So personally, I felt the since uh, I completed my tenth grade back in my country, and I felt when I came here, the education was really lenient. Lenient, as in it was really easy for me. Yeah. So SAT wasn't that hard. Yeah. Compared to say my peers. Yeah, that's that's interesting that you say that. And then I think also when I when I meet some of my friends that uh, have studied much more, uh, I guess. Uh, In depth in 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 like the Himalayan region, whether it be Nepal, India, versus you know me, I kind of grew up here personally here in 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 the states, um, and I and I see them studying. Uh, I feel like a lot a lot of the stuff that you take like study in India, it's it's, it's much more rigorous, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's much. I think what the the schooling system does well there is like it teaches you how to memorize really well, <laughs> right? Yeah. You're constantly like, even when you watch, like I, I go back to India sometimes. I go to like my little cousin, and she's like studying. She wants to be going to medical field, and she's, uh, I can just hear her studying, but it's more like reading like a Tibetan pija or like a prayer. Like she's just constantly saying sentences over and over again to like memorize it so that she can regurgitate it back on her exam. Um, and I, I think that's a little different to like the American schooling system, where, um, you know, there's different pathways where you know when you. When you're looking to, um, you know, take a test or something, it's more. It's not just, uh, you know, what what's the definition of this or what, you know, what, how do you solve this problem? It's like there's a story behind it, and it helps you try to apply those problem sets, right? And so that's what, like, you know, when when I think about the schooling system, it's uh, from India or Nepal versus America. Um, it's uh, it really sort of. Uh, I don't know. It, it gives me a different idea and a different outlook in terms of how my life would have been like um, if I stayed in in India and studied there. Um, and so that kind of brings me back to the earlier question you asked me in terms of what my experience has been in college. So, um, junior year in college, um, I applied to a pre MBA program in Mumbai, India. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and I got accepted and I got I got called out um, to uh, to study there for about a year, um, uh, essentially pursuing uh, my international business communication side of things. I took a few finance classes there. Um, I was there for a year. Honestly, Mumbai is just—it really is the New York of of India. I had an amazing time. Um, really, I mean, I went to a school with—I mean, just a lot of dirty politicians, sons and daughters, and you know, experienced a whole new life that I—I I, I didn't think was possible. Um, and that really sort of evolved me as a person as well in terms of. Understanding, you know, what else is out there, how these people are living, um, and what 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 success really looks like. 
So uh, growing up, you, uh, you said you wanted to pursue a, a career path in finance. And as we all know, the stereotypical Asian parent, they would want you to go towards health, lawyer. So some even say uh, finance would be the second option. How did you face them, the struggles and supports from your family or your community? Yeah. How did that affect you? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, um, for for me, not so much. My, I mean, th- those were the three pathways right? you, you talked about, it, being a lawyer. Uh, I mean, there's four, actually. Being a lawyer, being a doctor, being an engineer, or uh, going to finance are the four ways that I think a lot, especially like Tibetan parents know about. And my, my dad pushed me to be in finance. Um, and we could, I mean, just jumping right into it. Um, so I graduated from University of Oregon. And the very next day I got my job, I worked for a company called Chartwell. Right. Um, and essentially what we did was we implemented ESOPs. Um, I was a financial analyst there. We did valuations. So, uh, whether it's looking at bringing a fairness, of, uh, fairness of value, opinion of value for companies, so telling a company how much they're worth or, uh, implementing ESOPs is what, what our primary focus was, was, um, it's called, uh, employee stock ownership plans. Right. So usually, um, you know, a private company would go to public, uh, and that's where these invest- investment bakers make the big bucks. Um, we sort of took it the other way, where we took a, pri- a public to private, or just kept it as a private, so they can initiate what's called an ESOP, um, an employee stock ownership. And within that that focus, um, my primary focus was executive compensation. So, I mean, to give you guys a little more outlook on that, is you know, I was 20 years old, I graduated college, I I, I get pushed into doing executive comp work. Uh, for uh, for us uh, for this company, um, and basically what I did was so when an ESOP was in- initiated, so a company initiated an ESOP, um, we would come in there and my team would look at you know all the executive salaries, board members, chairs, uh, and and basically uh, you know sort of plan out their their compensation. Um, I had no idea what I was doing. Right, I was a. Uh, I mean, now that I think about it, looking back, I, I smile about it because I was, I was 20 years old. I was pushed into running, basically telling these, you know, 80, 70 year olds, uh, you know, pharmaceutical giants how much money they should be making on a salary, uh, and what their SARS and stock options should look like. Um, that whole concept of fake it till you make it really did work at that time. So I learned a lot as I experienced it. You know, I sat in and I, you know, learned about how to model different executive compensation modeling. Um, and it also opened up my eyes in terms of what the value of money means, right? I got to really see, I mean, not, I, I don't think not many people can say, I mean, from my perspective, I think I had a great experience where I graduated college the very next day. I, I, I you know, I was, I was get offered that job. And then within that job, my particular role was looking at money and how much people money makes. And I mean, for the lack of better words, it really did open up my eyes where, you know, like what kind of money really people make here in, in this world, right? So as you mentioned before, you worked as an analyst yeah. for the charter bank. Yeah. How was your transition? Yeah, so yeah. I was I was working in, uh, so right off the back, like I mentioned, I was in finance working for Chartwell Financial Advisory. Uh, as an analyst, uh, moving on to become an associate, um, and I put two years in. Um, uh, so, I mean, it's really thinking about it now, um, I can clearly tell you. So, I, for two years, I, I thought I wanted to do, pursue that finance path. My, my parents were very happy. Um, but the hours that I was putting in, the amount of stress, uh, and, and just my overall happiness, it wasn't there. Um, I, I would say... 
two years of staring at three different computer screens and running Excel models all day, which it, it wasn't enticing enough for me as I thought. That's not the life that I, I envisioned myself living. Um, and it was, I think it was the June of 2016. Uh, uh, we, uh, so we have a yearly, in investment banking especially, you have a yearly 360 review where every, all your colleagues review you and then your managing director reviews you as well and has a conversation about, hey, what the next, what your bonuses look like, what the next uh, step is and what you need to improve on. Um, you talk about, immig- uh, you know, immigrants and, you know, my, our background within that company. I think at that time there were about 40 people. Um, I was, I, honestly, I was the only Asian person there. So it was, it was, it was different to when I, when I first joined the, when, when I first joined the company. And I'm sure it's, it's transitioned and it's more diverse now. Um, great company. Um, but regardless, um, you know, that, that type of work, um, within the, you know, running Excel models all day, finance, it just wasn't doing it for me. So, um, that morning during my 360 review, uh, and he made it, uh, 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 my managing director made it like he, at like 7 a.m. in the morning, super early. Um, right before that, I got, I, I got to work earlier. I was walking around in Portland, downtown Portland, a place called Pioneer Square. There's sometimes there's billboard and stuff. And, you know, um, I saw a billboard that said, why not now? At that time, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't think things too much of it. And then it just kind of, I kept sort of, Rerating it to myself, um, and thinking, you know, rat, why not now? Um, and I went back into that interview, uh, or that, or that meeting with, uh, with my managing director at that time. Um, and I told him, Hey, you know, Hey, Nick, I'm going to let you finish. Uh, we're going to have this conversation, but I quit. Um, and so I quit my job. Uh, he turned all red because I was working on, I think, some of the bigger projects at that time, right? Um, and it, it, it was scary. Um, at that time. And, uh, you know, I kind of just did it right. Uh, I, I thought if I don't do it now, um, like, you know, when am I really going to do it? Right. Um, so I, he, he, I mean, they're, they're really taken back by, it. uh, we, we, we had a conversation about, it. he was, I think he was definitely trying to have a conversation about perhaps trying to retain me so that, you know, at least for the the rest of the year. But you know, for me, it was just, you know, I, I was, uh, I was done with it and, uh, I pursued, um, I came back home and I told my dad was not very happy with me. Um, you know, at the very end, and I can see why being that, you know, as, as a father, he was scared of the decisions that I was making, but I knew I was doing something right. Right. Um, I just didn't, I hated what I was doing. Um, I mean, it was, it started out being something that I thought I would be passionate about. It just didn't turn, turn that way around. Um, and then I thought to myself, Hey, what's the next part of my life? What do I want to do? Uh, New York is a place that I've always envisioned myself uh, living in. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, I uh, I quit my job and I moved to New York. Um, didn't have any job. Didn't ha- really just started, you know, sort of networking, meeting individuals uh, within LinkedIn, within our community, uh, just meeting anyone that would talk to me. Right. Um, and they don't have to be in finance. I just wanted to understand their life similar to what you're doing. Just m- maybe not so much recorded, but a, a podcast I was having just an interview between the professional and I, um, and I was learning a lot. Um, and, uh, I was stuck with this understanding of, Hey, do I jump back into the finance world and, you know, start to go into some of these bigger institutional institutions and do the same thing, be unhappy, but be at a place that I like, or do I pursue something bigger, um, that I'm more passionate about? And 
I need, I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to, uh, you know, leverage my financial modeling skills to some extent. Um, I wanted to be client facing so I can, you know, have, you know, take initiative, have an influence on the outcome. Um, and also something that I considered within the real estate world. My brother is an investor in real estate in Oregon. Um, real estate is always something that I'm passionate about. As you mentioned earlier in the call, I interned at Green Gables. Um, it's an architectural company, um, as just a junior designer and, uh, which, Real estate has always been a passion of mine. So I needed to find a, a job or a position that would incorporate those things, right? Financial modeling, uh, being client facing, um, and also, uh, working in, in, in the real estate space. Uh, and Red IQ certainly fit that aspect of it. So now you've transitioned to something that's more tailored to your passion yeah. and your skills as in well, communicating with people and such. What steps did you take to prepare yourself for that? To, to, for that trajectory from college to an internship and possibly a professional life? Yeah, I, I uh, that's a great question. Um, I leveraged my network. Um, I, I took initiative. I went to my career center. I looked at all the job possibilities. Um, I literally just, you know, th I mean, it's a numbers game, right? So I applied to uh, like all these jobs, uh, thousands of different jobs, analysts, different, different analyst roles, analyst this, analyst that. I, I just wanted to understand what sort of opportunities are out there. Um, at the very end, if I got called for an interview, I would go in there, I would learn about the job, and I would also sharpen my interview skills. I, I didn't have to take that job at the end of the day, right? Um, but essentially taking initiative, networking, um, and, and, you know, pursuing different, I didn't really care about what their requirements were. If I needed to have two years, three years, four years of financial modeling experience or, you know, know how to run different regressions, it, it, they have all these different qualifications. I just told, I just kind of had what my, well, I had no experience, right? I had no experience. I was coming right out of college and I had a little bit of internships with Bank of America, Merrill Lynch and that, and that within the architecture firm. So, um, I just kind of applied, man. I, it's, it's really just a numbers game and I applied to different roles and I, I, you know, I saw what fit and Chartwell really, um, I had a great impression. It was a great impression that they presented me with in terms of what the role should be and what the overall future outlook would be, uh, along with, um, who I connected with. Um, and, um, I, you know, they offered that job to me and I, I essentially just, you know, took, took that, took that offer and, uh, sort of ran with it. But, you know, it all sort of led me to be where I am here today. So, uh, last time we met at the GTPN event, so that's a global Tibetan professionals networking event. Yep. You mentioned that you like, uh, reading books as well. Yeah. And one of the books that you mentioned were never eat alone. So I, 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 I gave it a go and currently I'm at chapter four. Okay. And it's, uh, the chapter is entitled build it before you need it. Yeah. So I feel that, uh, ties in really close to what you said about taking initiatives yep. and meeting people. Yeah. And that's, see, I mean, I'm so happy that you're reading that book. That book has essentially, uh, Keith Ferrazzi has changed how, how I view things and how I approach every conversation within this, with, at, at least throughout my life thus far, um, you know, reach, you know, reaching out, meeting pe random people for coffee, um, you know, coming out, you know, I, coming out, meeting you guys, running this podcast, having a conversation. At the end of the day, you know, there's nothing to gain out of it now, um, but it may lead to something in the future. Right. Uh, so he talks, uh, Keith, there's a, there's a perception there of looking at, Hey, um, you know, helping whenever you can so that later 
that can be a collectibles in your in your bank, right? So that, at the end of the day, that can that can be a that can be something that you know maybe that's not that's uns, unspoken, but something that hey they'll they'll always realize who you are, what what you did, and it may be a reaching hand. You don't know how or where the future will lead in terms of you know connecting or helping in some way or another. So I think like you mentioned, you know, meeting people, taking initiative. It's not something you want to get up and do on a Sunday. But, you know, but you, you go ahead and you do it. Uh, and so that, you know, one, you build that relationship. And two, you're, I mean, in one way or another, you're, you're going to help one another out, you know, and you just don't know where that pathway will lead. I'm sure our audience uh, range in a wide demographic from, say, a college graduate, a college student, or even a high school student. So if we were to bring it back to high school, what are, what do you think are like some key steps to being a successful student in high school what really helped me um and really was uh, like the small things right being organized right buy yourself a planner you know write your everyday homeworks for what class you need or what what aspect what what parts of the books you need to read but write something down have a have something to write down i think though this notion behind Having, you know, taking a, a notepad or notebook and writing, you know, checkboxes for yourself and being able to cross it out, it's really fulfilling to me, but also sets in the, uh, a, a sto- uh, you know, a milestone in terms of my life saying that, hey, I've completed this and I can go back to it and, and relate to it after, right? But also it keeps me organized too. Um, so I think there's a, a real value and a power behind writing something down, but be organized. So as you mentioned before, you said growing up, uh, you said work at the Nike store. So you said growing up, he was uh, he was the person you looked up to as a mentor. So one of the reasons that we uh, we initiated this podcast is to shed light upon the Himalayan professionals. So possibly people could have a person to look up to, say a mentor. So did you have a mentor at any point in your life, other than your dad? Yeah, yeah, I have had, I've had, um, and that's a great question. I've had multiple mentors. Uh, I mean, really, so well, how, I mean, just to kind of go back to that story. So my dad, uh, not necessarily his, his, um, there's different aspects of mentors that can affect you, right? So my dad, like, not only was he my dad, but he can't, he was a, he was a tanka painter, a well-skilled tanka painter, came to America to make a living, uh, and could not get, you know, survive as an artist. So he started, the first job he got was, uh, you know, looking at, you know, pumping air into those air maxes that, you know, kids pay hundreds of dollars for now. Um, but at that time, if, uh, you know, that's, that's the only job he can get, but he sort of pursued different aspects of life. And now he works within the tech world. He works for ACH America, which is semiconductor and he builds, uh, he basically, uh, uh, is like the lead for us building our semiconductors were those little chips that we have with all these devices that we use, right? That's what it builds. So seeing him transform and pursue something uh not necessarily you know exactly what i want to do but him I, him showing me by by you know by experience and by doing something that really helped you know uh, entailed in terms of you know hey this is something that i i could do as well right like this is my dad's you know came here worked in nike and now is doing something much more fulfilling that he likes um but as far as looking at mentors go I mean, I've had mentors that, you know, I can talk to them about a professional career, mentors that maybe there's a personal issue that I, you know, that I'm facing towards life or, or just someone that I can talk to day to day. There's different aspects of mentors, but I, I've had, I have had a, a, I would say a handful of mentors that I, I've kept in touch with, um, that I meet on a, you know, sort of a, you know, bi, you know, biannually basis, uh, just connecting, uh, you know, catching up. 
um, and also learning from their experience and, and in terms of, you know, asking them in terms of what, what my next step should be and, and trying to evolve into that. Uh, you have benefited from uh, having these mentors a lot. What was the process for you to uh, connect with the mentors? Yeah, yeah. Um, as far as the process goes, again, network, 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 right? Uh, mm -hmm. That's really, I mean, the whole concept behind your network, your your net worth is your network, right? Um, really, I, I think that's that's really um, has impacted my life. Uh, um, these mentors, I've I've met them through, you know, my own connections, uh, friends of friends of dad, uh, you know, family friend. And so on, and and even if you know, if if at the, at the very end, if this individual, when I when I reach out to you know have someone be a mentor, I mean, you you don't just I, I, this whole concept of mentorship. Like, so when you want to find a mentor, I guess that's that's a, a good, good good sort of leeway to work towards is you don't just go out and like ask someone to be your mentor, right? You don't you know like, hey, can you be my mentor? That's it's, it doesn't work like that, and that's you, you're just asking for something, so. What I really did was, you know, whether it's someone that, uh, you know, I wanted to speak with or know with, I would really get to know what their background is, right? Doing my due diligence on them and then finding a way where I can have uh, an interesting approach, right? So looking at a mentor, maybe, uh, you know, I want to speak to someone that's in the financial industry and I have an idea or I have a question about where this market is currently heading towards. Um, you want to reach out in a way where you can extend a hand or help, you, you have to f show them how you can help them before they can, you know, give anything back to you. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right? You're not just, you're, you're not just network. You're not just reaching out, asking for a mentor, just say, Hey, talk to me or give me a job. That's not, that, that's, 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 you got to think it reverse. You have to think about how you can help them. And then that sort of puts you, sets you aside from, you know, the rest of the individuals that are out there just randomly reaching out to people just to get a job or just to, you know, get a mentor, right? When you, a mentor is really someone that you want to, you, you want to connect with on a higher level than just professionally, I, I would say. So, uh, you've mentioned that, uh, coming from, uh, coming from a Himalayan community and using that as your story to, to reach out to more opportunities, get more scholarships and such. What actions are you taking right now to give back to the community? I know uh, we, you're actively involved in panel events such as GDPN. But other than that, how do you plan on giving back? Yeah, that's great. That's a great question. Um, so currently, I, I I I have a few sort of younger sort of uh, individuals that I, I mentor and I see them uh, on just on a, on a day to day level. I mean, if I can't help them, obviously, if they want to go towards the medical field, or if I can't help them within the profession, I I can certainly connect them to someone that I that I that that's within my network. Um, also, you know, being able to be that bigger brother um, to have that conversation with someone that's within my community that's going through. Uh, a particular issue that maybe I dealt with as a, as a kid, right? Um, I, I definitely want to take initiative on that. Um, so, I mean, moving from Oregon to New York, as I mentioned, I, I grew up around a, a very sort of, you know, white community. Um, I didn't really meet, I didn't really have any Tibetan friends or Nepali friends or Sharpa friends. So coming to New York was one of those key aspects of, you know, things that I wanted to fulfill. I wanted to be around the community more. Uh, I moved, I moved right into the city when I first moved from uh, Oregon to, um, to New York. And I didn't really meet many Tibetan people, uh, or, or within the Himalayan region. And so, um, I met a few friends there, uh, you know, just kind of, you know, meeting friends and going out. And then, and then recently, about six months ago, I moved to Queens, uh, around Steinway area. 
and I hope with that with that move to be a little more closer to the uh, Tibetan and, and the Himalayan community, uh, and hopefully I can make some more co- network, uh, you know, make some more connections, and and see how, how what other ways that there are that I can help, uh, you know, within our community and, and, and mentorship programs. It is certainly clear that there are a lot more stories like Tendons, and we will try to cover that in our next episode by bringing another professional from our community. We are very much excited to see Tenzin move forward in his professional life and want to wish him luck for his future endeavors. I want to thank all the listeners if you've reached this far. That's our fourth episode on Behind the Peaks podcast. Please follow us on whatever platform you're listening to and don't forget to leave a review and rating. Until next time, stay professional.